Welcome to the Grow Strong Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and I interview business leaders who are committed to their own growth and the development of everyone on their team. If you enjoy my podcast, be sure to subscribe and rate it on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you for joining me today. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and I am always very excited to have my conversations with my guests because I'm bringing to you people who are focused on their own development and also looking at how they can help others achieve their full potential. And that's really the focus of my company, Grow Strong Leaders. We have produced software tools and books that help people connect more effectively with each other in the workplace. And you can learn more at growstrongleaders.com. Today, I am so excited to have this conversation. I've been looking forward to it for, I guess, months now. Sejal Thacker, welcome to my show. Thank you so much. I've been looking forward to it too. (laughs) You know, I have to tell my audience that I first heard you on the podcast of my really dear friend, Blaine Bartlett, his Soul of Business podcast. And as soon as I listened to your conversation, I knew that I wanted to invite you to be a guest on my show because of the importance of the topics you were covering with him. And I didn't even wait to have him introduce us. I just reached out to you on social media and said, Seychelle, we need to talk and I would love to have you as a guest. So here we are, and I am just really eager to dive into the important topics that we're going to talk about today. And listeners, you will understand why I was so eager to have Sejal on my show when we get into our conversation. First, though, let me give you a brief introduction to her. She is on a mission to help educate and empower people to create a world where everyone is treated with dignity and respect. Is there anything more important than that today? She's a former employment law attorney and a two times TEDx speaker where she sheds light on two topics that we'll be talking about today. The first is the pain, power and paradox of bias. And the other is from longing to belonging. And in her regular work life, Sejal is responsible for cultivating a people-first culture at Nobody Studios. And she's also the founder and chief civility officer at Train Extra, where she helps leaders create positive, safe, and respectful workplaces through customized training and coaching. So Sejal, this is such an interesting journey you had from employment law attorney to the work you do today. Help us understand that that work and the transition. Yeah, it definitely has been an adventure. That's for sure, Meredith. Um, I loved, you know, I'm still a licensed attorney in California and I, I enjoyed practicing law, but pretty early on, I realized, you know, that this isn't really where I see myself making a difference, um, not litigating cases. I'm more of a conflict resolution type of person, more of an educator. And so I found myself actually educating the leaders that I was working with on what they should and shouldn't have done to avoid these lawsuits from happening in the first place. And so 
I did that for a number of years. And then, you know, I had a birthday in 2017 and I, I just asked myself that question, you know, go for it. If this is what you are passionate about, this is what seems to be where you feel fulfilled and satisfied every day when you're doing this training workshops and educating leaders, go for it. So I started my own company and um, it's been just a beautiful, I'm privileged to be able to do the work that I do. And then as you mentioned, just last year, I got another opportunity um, to join the Venture Studio at Nobody Studios, which is really, it's taken everything I've learned everything that I've done up until this point and now putting me to the test to say, you're out there telling people how to create inclusive, positive and safe workplaces, come in here and help us do that. And so I get to work with the leadership team at Nobody Studios in kind of helping design a culture from the ground up. And it's just super exciting. That's so great. We'll come back to that in a little bit. The first thing I want to explore though, is this idea of civility because you focus on cultivating and fostering a workplace of civility. How do you define that term? Yeah, and you know, I'm just gonna share with you a definition that I use in my workshops by a leading expert in fostering civility that I just, I read this and I was like, okay, this is perfect. Um, Dr. Cynthia Clark, and she defines civility as an authentic respect for others, requiring time and presence a willingness to engage in genuine discourse with an intention to seek common ground. I love that definition because a lot of times people look at civility and they think it's just about respect, you know, that we have to respect one another. And respect is an important part of civility. Obviously, we want to make sure that we affirm and see each other as human beings when we're working together or just in general. But civility requires more than that. And so, you know, she talks about time and presence, you know, and I love that because we are all sort of hardwired to be on the go, you know, one thing to the next, check off things on our to-do list. And if something happens, just ignore it. It'll go away. And as an attorney, I've seen this over and over and again, when you're dealing with uncivil behavior in the workplace, right? So rude, unprofessional behavior, for example, abusive conduct, bullying, you know, anything short of your illegal behavior is what I call uncivil behavior, right? And so as an employment law attorney, what I saw was there was a lot of this uncivil behavior that was going on in the workplace. And a lot of companies were spending all of their efforts on addressing the illegal behavior or defending lawsuits or defending themselves in claims and compliance rather than doing what I think is the right way of doing it, which is to be proactive and focus on creating a culture of respect and civility so that we don't have those lawsuits happening, you know, or at least we mitigate the risk from those happening. And so I did a complete flip when I said, I'm going to go from being a lawyer to a trainer educator, because I think I can add more value ahead of the time rather than coming in and putting band-aids on things later on. Right. So that's great. That's such a multi-layered definition. So let's think in a practical way for listeners that agree, let's say, with that definition. How can they make civility a core value? And I don't mean just, you know, posting it on the wall, you know, as one of their stated values, but to really live that as a core way of how we treat each other at this company. 
Absolutely. So I call that, you know, look, just like any other core value that an organization would have, right? Diversity, inclusion, belonging, whatever your core values are, I'm out there advocating that all organizations should make civility a core value. So the first step is defining that core value. So I just shared with you a definition that I value and that I use, but you know, your organization might define civility differently, but it's important to get the leadership on the same page as far as what do we mean as far as civility at our organization. And then once you define that clearly, and this is where I think the gap is with a lot of companies, you know, is they have a clear definition of what civility is, but they need to also communicate to all the employees why. Why is this a core part of our business strategy? So defining it and then clearly communicating that so that employees understand exactly what they're being asked to do and why, right? And so this is the, this is the huge part where I think is missing is that, you know, I did a lot of your anti-harassment trainings as an attorney. I did a lot of diversity and inclusion trainings because that's an area that I'm passionate about. But what I saw was that bridge was missing, was that we weren't tying that into our business strategies. And so by making civility a core value, you're letting everybody know that we are going to create a, what I like to call a civility action plan. Because the core value is meaningless, right? Unless there's accountability that comes along with that. And I'm talking about accountability throughout the entire organization, top to bottom. Every employee has to be held to this core value so that you need to have accountability systems so that if somebody is not you know, aligning their behavior with the way that you've defined civility to be, that there's gonna, they're going to be held responsible, right? With meaningful, appropriate, and proportional sort of ways, right? And so one of the things that I tell some of my clients when I work with them is I say, you know what? Evaluate your executives and managers on their commitment to civility and how they treat people, right? So by you by including that as a performance measure, you're sending a pretty strong message to everybody in the company that this is a fundamental core value and we are going to do something about it if people don't align their behavior. So that's really one huge thing. And then obviously, look, just like any core values, you got to put the money, the resources, the, you know, the efforts to really support that core value to, for it to be effective, right? And so that's some of the things that I would recommend that companies do in making sure that civility is a core value. As I'm listening to you describe that, it all makes sense. What if the person or persons at the very top espouse this, but don't live it themselves? What, what options are available? Unfortunately, that is what happens in a lot of these cases, right? It's that this behavior, and, and this is really the core of my workshops that I offer, right? Because these behaviors usually happen over time, and then they get more severe, right? So for example, you have a leader, and I, I exactly, this is what I give them, this is what I talk about in my workshop, is that Lots of times these behaviors start off by well-intentioned people. So let's say, for example, you have a supervisor that's trying to motivate their employees, right? So they occasionally yell at this employee to get them to do their work. If that behavior might be perceived by somebody as being unprofessional, right? Oh, you're being rude. Why are you yelling at me? But if the person doesn't feel comfortable enough speaking up, 
or telling that supervisor that this behavior is making them feel uncomfortable, guess what? That supervisor is not going to be put on notice and they're going to continue engaging in that behavior. It's going to get worse over time and then it's going to turn into bullying at some point or abusive conduct. And then before you know it, we're in court. So we want to start addressing those behaviors early on. The problem is, is in a lot of these situations, the behavior has gone on for so long, usually by people in positions of power, right, that it's become normal and toxic. And so we're having to go back and really look at that again and, and have those tough conversations with some of our leadership teams and saying, you know, what you've done in the past, may have, you may have gotten away with it but we're not going to tolerate that anymore. And these are tough conversations to have, but very important ones to have because, you know, employees are not tolerating these types of behaviors anymore. That explains why millions of people have left their jobs, right? And people are starting their own businesses, you know, like, so it's, it's something that we have to pay attention to. And, and I, what I, what I um, love seeing is that there's a lot of people doing this hard work. I have to say, I have been doing this work my entire career, working with organizations, right, and working with leadership. I am seeing companies actually doing the work. It may not happen as quickly, but I'm very optimistic about our future and, and how organizations are handling these issues. I really am. So, you know, I'm, I'm excited to hear you say that. I'm curious, when you are brought in, is it a company, and this may not be an all or none, I guess maybe it could be a percentages. How often is it that they want to be proactive about creating a civil culture versus reacting or responding to something that happened that now they've got to put something different in place? Yeah. So after starting my company in 2017, I'll tell you, there was a major shift in what I've seen. Um, and COVID had a lot to do with that. Right. But but so I've only got that period of time because before that I was defending. Right. And, and consulting with clients. But major shift. Um, I am being I'm being called in proactively by companies to come in and do their civility workshops and really help work with them from the beginning in, in doing that stuff. And I'm very much staying in my lane, right? So there are lots of things that go behind making civility a core value like you just asked me to. So I have created these wonderful collaborations with people where they can go in and help, for example, if a company has never done anything about civility. Uh, aside from offering the mandatory, you know, your anti-harassment training, which is completely inadequate to, to cover what I'm talking about, right? But, but now I'm seeing companies saying, you know, let's really get into the deep, do ask those hard questions, ask our employees for feedback, let's get that data and let's figure out where we need to do what and then come up with an action plan to address not just diversity inclusion, but also civility. So I am so proud to be working with lots of organizations that are coming with me proactively. It's much cheaper. Um, it's better in so many ways. I can give you a hundred different reasons why you should be proactive, especially right now with everything that's going on in the world and with people with what they're willing to tolerate and what they're not willing to tolerate. It's a lot. It's, it's, this is the perfect opportunity for a company to just open everything up and say, we are, you know what, we're going to bring in an outside consultant or a company to help us figure this out so that we can do this right moving forward. And that'll help you retain your talent 
right? So that they don't walk out the door. So I'm obviously, you can tell, very passionate about this. Oh, I know. I, I, that's what I heard in your voice when I first um, heard you speak. And I'm curious if you have an example or two of a company where you've done work or your team has done work. What was it like before you worked with them? either from what you're hearing from employees or any other criteria, you know, metrics you might want to use. And then what was it like after they really worked consciously and intentionally to put civility in place? So many examples, right, of of that question. Um, And so, again, like I don't do the full spectrum of all of the work, but I have collaboration. So I get feedback from them when I've referred cases to where somebody has said, we need to have a series of workshops, right? And, you know, as, as, I, as I always tell my clients, you know, we want to keep coming back and reinforcing these behaviors. And you want to continue to do surveys and get feedback from employees. This has to be an ongoing process, right? So I've heard from clients who've actually followed my recommendations and sort of the action plans that I've suggested. And I might be just, just be a part of that whole, whole entire plan, right? But They've come back to me and said, they, I mean, I've heard, I've seen organizations that have had toxic work environments where people were threatening to walk out, you know, and, and maybe there was even formal complaints or a lawsuit already filed, been able to turn it around where now people are actually proactively coming and pointing out issues, which is what we want, right? We want to create that psychological safety. I'd rather, as, as, as a, you know, as a CEO person or any C-level suite person, I'd rather know up front something's going on and be given the opportunity to address it versus finding out about it on social media or with a lawsuit, right? So I've seen cases where employees have locked and and dug their heels in and said, I don't want to work with this person. And we've been able to work with those two through coaching and counseling and people are still working together, right? And what I see over and over again, and this is why I think this work is so important, is that it's really in my opinion, it's that we're putting a lot of different people together and who cares about what those differences are. The bottom line is it's different people working together and there's going to be challenges that come up when you put different people working together. And so we can empower people with the skills and the tools and the training to be able to navigate through those challenging situations that are going to happen no matter where you work, because you're dealing with different people. And, um, and, and that's the hard part is if we can do that appropriately, then I think lawsuits go down, the environments get better, and it happens over and over again. So it's, it's, it's so wonderful, too, that I'm on, I'm on LinkedIn a lot, as you know, that I'm actually seeing more companies publicly share the positive results they're seeing in their corporations and in their companies, and their employees are doing the same. To me, that's the litmus test. If your employees are out there saying, my company's doing the work and we're seeing positive, you, you're good. Right. And so we're seeing a lot of that happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it taps into that desire that every company really wants, which is the loyalty of folks, you know, based on how they are treated. So I, I love that. And I want to explore a little bit around each of your TED Talks, because each of them is so potent. And we'll put links to them in our show notes page for you. The first one was around this paradox pain of unconscious bias. So what do you mean by unconscious bias? And then what's the paradox? 
Yeah. So, you know, what, when I talk about in that, um, in that first TEDx talk that I did was really looking at this concept of bias from three different lenses. And I talk about it from the lens of, you know, me personally, my story about what I went through as a victim of other people's bias. Right. And, and that's where I'm really focusing more of the conversation on conscious bias, or is it really unconscious bias? Right. And so, it's, it's, I had kids that were, you know, harassing me, that were bullying me because of my race, because of my religion. Um, we were the only Indian family living in an Italian neighborhood. So I talk about that story and, and how that impacted the work that I do now. And then the paradox of bias is where I talk about, you know, my journey of going from somebody who was a victim of bias to now I as I came out of law school and I started practicing law, I became somebody who was now defending other people who were accused of hurting other people. I, I think most people, when they know my story, they would have assumed that I would have been somebody representing victims or plaintiffs in these lawsuits, but I was actually defense attorney. And so I got to see prejudice and bias from a whole different perspective. And it taught me a lot. And so in my TEDx talk, I talk about some of those lessons that I learned, seeing bias from the other side, and realizing that a lot of these people that, you know, that were ending up in court, that I was defending, a lot of them were actually good people, you know, they were well intentioned, they were trying to do their best, but they had their own biases, or they had, you know, whether they were conscious or unconscious, right. And so, Again, going back to the educating piece, right? And that's where I, I was like, okay, I'm starting to see this now from a different perspective. And and the twist was that like nobody wins in these situations. We're all a victim of bias in one way or the other, right? And so that's the paradox that it's not one dimensional bias impacts us all. And then I talk about the power of bias. And there I'm really talking more about the power of unconscious bias. And it wasn't way into my career, Meredith, that I actually learned about unconscious bias. It was after I'd been practicing law for a number of years. And that really pissed me off because I'm like, I should have learned about this a long time ago. It should have been something as an attorney I should have known about, but I think it's something that everybody needs to know about. Um, and it really frustrated me that this information is not accessible to everybody. And, you know, unless you go and seek it out, you are not going to learn about unconscious bias. And that's just holding us back from getting to inclusion and belonging and some of the things that a lot of us are striving for, but we can't get there until we learn about it. And so that's what really motivated me to do that first TEDx talk is to educate people on unconscious bias. So I share some research behind what unconscious bias is, which is something that's normal that we all have, which is the way that our brain processes this information. So I share some of that science and research behind that. And then I share a framework that I created for that TEDx talk, which I help to help people understand that, look, we all have bias. The best thing we can all do is to understand what our own bias is, because the good news is we can mitigate our own unconscious bias. If we know what it is, there are specific strategies that can help us. So I share some strategies in that TEDx talk to help people understand and mitigate their own unconscious bias. Would you share one of those so people can start thinking about, gosh, because initially we might say, well, I don't think I am biased. I don't have, you know, I'm aware of any biases that I have. And yet that's not true. No matter how much we might like to think 
that it is. So what's one thing that a listener could do to get more in touch with any potential unconscious biases they might have? So one tool I always recommend to everybody, right? It's, it's an online tool that you can take. It's called the implicit association. They call it a test, implicit association test. I don't like calling it a test because it's not a pass or fail thing, right? It's, it's literally just a tool. And so it was, com- it was created by uh, psychologists from Harvard University, University, University of Washington, University of Virginia. They got together and they created this tool. It's broken down into different sections And you take, you answer these questions and it's all about associations that you make with certain things. And then it'll identify for you potential biases that you might have. So basically the way I look at it is which way do you lean? You know, we all have preferences. So it just gives you an idea of which way in, in in this situation, when you're dealing with this scenario, here's where you lean. And that's so valuable to know which way you lean because you know, it's, it's, it's normal. Like I said, bias in and of itself could be positive or negative. Right. And so if I see someone that looks like my son, who's the center of my universe, I'm going to lean positively towards that person. That just makes me a good mother, not a bad person. Right. But if I'm hiring for a, a job and someone that walks in, you know, there's two candidates, one looks like my son and the other one doesn't, I need to be aware that, Hey, you have a positive bias for this person because they remind you of your son. So when you're making that really important decision, you want to be aware of those favorite, you know, ways that you lean so that you can make sure you stay neutral and you make the decision based on this person's capabilities, their skills, their experiences, and not because they remind you of your son or they don't, right? So, so super important tool. It's free. It's online. You could do it in convert your home, own room. You don't need to share your results with anybody. And it's a name of it again. It's called the implicit association test. Okay. If you just go into Dr. Google and you type in project implicit, it'll pull it up for you. It's so valuable. Great. Thank you. We'll put a link to that on our show notes page too. <clears throat> I'm curious with that video, the, the first TEDx talk, what kind of response have you gotten from people? What have you learned as a result of, of that talk? The, the, re- the response has been phenomenal. I mean, honestly, it's it's been so well received by everybody. I have heard um, people share, you know, the the negative that came out of the response was that so many people came to me and said they'd been bullied and how me sharing my story sort of helped them deal with their own situations or talk more openly about what they themselves have gone through and the pain that they've experienced. So lots of immigrants, you know, immigrants, people who are born, you know, have parents that moved here that were dealing with these situations. Because one of the reasons I did that talk, Meredith, is because immigrant children, you know, people who are born here who have immigrant parents, there's not a lot of support for kids who are going through that kind of bullying that I was going through. There's not much resources available to help you in when you're going through those situations. And I really wanted to highlight that. So that I, I heard a lot of negative stories of people that have gone through similar things, but I, I felt that it helped me accomplish that one goal was to raise awareness on that issue so that we can do more to support these immigrant children and just anybody that's being bullied, right? And overall. Um, but 
but it's been so heartwarming to see that I was, I accomplished what I was out to do was really to help educate people on unconscious bias. You know, it's exactly what you said. People, they hear that word bias and the first response is, I don't have any, I'm a good person. And I saw that happening over and over again in my workshops where I was like, we are not going to be able to make progress until people understand unconscious bias. We can't because if we keep vilifying that word and we keep vilifying that it's only bad people or morally bad people that have bias. No, it's not. It's all of us. We all have bias, every single one of us, and we need to do our own work. And that's the only way we can move this needle forward. And so that's, that has been so wonderful to see that I was able to do a little bit in helping to do that. So. That's so great. I'm so glad you did that. And I really want all my listeners to make a priority of listening to that. You also recommend something you say called wear your hat. And I'd love to have you describe what that means. Yeah. So the hat was just a, a, a strategies that I uh, came up with for, for my TEDx talk for people. First step is to learn about your unconscious bias. So you can take that test we just talked about, right? There's other tools as well. And then you want to mitigate that, right? So the good news is, is that they've said we can retrain our minds. So it's just like a bad habit. You know, think about unconscious bias as a hidden bad habit. And once you learn about what that bad habit is, you can retrain your mind to overcome that bad habit, right? So I give a hat is an acronym that I use in the talk for hold off, ask why and take action. And so really what I'm going at is if you think about bias, unconscious versus conscious, the difference is really a matter of speed. Our unconscious bias happens in the blink of an, you know, an eye. It happens very quickly. We don't even realize it's happening. And so by using the hat strategy, you're slowing your thinking down. So I'm saying when you meet somebody, they look different, or you have a, a, you know, a positive, it could be a, either a really strong positive or negative reaction. But especially in those situations where you have this immediate negative reaction towards this person, is to start paying more attention to those situations, start observing that more and asking yourself, why? Why am I having this extremely negative response to this person that I just met? Because we know science says that we make 11 judgments about somebody in the first seven seconds we meet them, right? So I talk about this in my TEDx talk. So this happens for every single one of us. And so then you ask yourself, why? And it's, it's really to, again, slow down your response time to that person and really think about why you're doing what you're doing, because we're creatures of habit. We do the same things over and over again, and then you take action, right? So you think about why you're having this strong reaction, and then you take action. And I really, I talk about, you know, in my TEDx talk, I talk about, well, the difference between the golden rule and the platinum rule, right? And so... We've all been raised with treat other people in the way that you want to be treated. And I encourage in my TEDx talk to, for people to really kind of look at it from the, the newer rule, which is the platinum rule, which is, you know, treat other people in the way that they want to be treated. Right. And, and the reason why that's so important is that it requires you to actually, again, make time to get to know people and be present and really understand what their needs are and how they want to be treated which could be very different than how you might want to be treated, right? Because we're all different from each other. And so, so that's just a strategy that I share, the hat strategy, and, and encourage people to wear their hats to mitigate their unconscious bias. You know, thinking about what you've just said, um, one of the ways it seems to me when people are unaware, then it, it 
leaves the door open for, you know, what are called microaggressions or are exclusive types of behaviors. And so give us some examples of some of those that people, again, may not be aware that they have engaged in or they've observed others just to raise our radar about what to pay attention to so that we can be more sensitive to avoid doing it ourselves, but also recognize it when we observe it. And what do you recommend for speaking up, intervening if we observe these? Yeah, absolutely. And I pulled out this book, Meredith, that I wanted to share with you. Um, it's a great book on microaggressions, right? And, um, you know, it's it's called Subtle Acts of Exclusion, mm-hmm. um, How to Understand, Identify, and Stop Microaggressions by Tiffany Jana, J-A-N-A, and Michael Baran, B-A-R-A-N. Amazing book, really great book. And, um, you know, I, I highly recommend it. It's my go-to resource on this topic. Um, but I, I want to just answer that question by first saying it's important that we define microaggressions for people that are listening to this, because I've been hearing all sorts of definitions. And again, this is a great resource for anybody that wants to learn more about that. But the definition for microaggressions, because people think it's like rude behavior, or it's unprofessional behavior. And microaggressions has a very specific meaning to it. So microaggressions are subtle behaviors, right? They could be verbal behaviors, you know, make a comment, right? An offhanded comment. It could be nonverbal behavior. So like your facial expressions, your, the, you know, the, your body language, your choice of behaviors, whether you make eye contact with somebody or not, right? So it could be verbal and nonverbal. But it's these little insults, messages that you're sending to other people who are of a marginalized group. And these comments come from your unconscious bias, right? So you have an unconscious bias. You're not even aware of this hidden bias. And now you meet somebody that you unconsciously have a prejudicial view about. And you make these comments and you're not even aware. So these are directed towards people of marginalized groups. And that's very important because they're built into our culture. And so if you don't belong to that marginalized group, you might not even pick up on it. You might actually think some of these microaggressions sound like they're a compliment, right? So you might think, well, why? This this person's making a big deal out of this, you know, when they're just trying to compliment this person, right? Um, And so... So I think that definition is really important. The problem with microaggressions is they're not micro. They are macro. That's why I don't even like calling them microaggressions. And I like this book because it taught me this new vocabulary of subtle acts of exclusion, because that's really what they are. They're subtle acts of exclusion, because a lot of times people hear micro and they're like, oh, it's no big deal. It's not harmful. It's minor. It couldn't be further from the truth. It's actually, in my opinion, the opposite, because These subtle acts of exclusion happen all the time, frequently, daily, sometimes multiple times a day directed at that person. And so it's harmful effects are even more because it's happening so casually, so frequently. Um, And so I I, I pulled out a couple examples that I think are important. And, And I pulled out ones that I think a lot of people can relate to. Right. Because sometimes you hear the microaggressions and and people tend to think that it's just about race. 
right? Or it's just about religion and microaggressions could be about a lot of different things. And so I wanted to share a couple examples that are a little bit different than what we might be used to hearing just because I want to make the point. So something like you say to somebody, at least you don't look old. Why is that a microaggression, right? Because there's an assumption in there that being older is a bad thing and that looking youthful is more valuable, right? At least you don't look old. Somebody might think that that's, you're complimenting that person, right? But you're not, you're making, right? Another one, I think I have PTSD from that meeting, right? People joke about that, right? But PTSD is a serious issue and it affects a lot of different groups of people, like people who served in the military, for example, right? And so, Again, these are just two examples. Another one, I don't see color, right? A lot of people, I, I will be honest with you. In my life, I have actually said that myself. I don't see color because what I'm trying to communicate is that I treat everybody equally, regardless of their color. But when you say you don't see color, especially to a person of color, you're discounting all of their experiences because of their color which they don't have a choice over. They can't just wake up and take that color off, right? So you're erasing major parts of this person's identity by saying that. So, so again, so, so much important work. And this is why I do workshops on this issue because it's, again, it's, no, it's, it's ingrained in our culture. Mm-hmm. And it's just about educating people. It's not about canceling anybody out. It's about calling people in and helping to educate people, right? And and, and, I, and, I, and I'll just say this because I'm seeing a lot of this right now, this negativity, you know, and, and people just sort of, you know, canceling people right away or, or oh, you know, you're, you said something wrong and I'm going to write, you know, that's not going to help. Right. And so it's, it's important that we continue to educate and we compute, continue to do this work. And you don't have to do this work. Not everybody has to do the work, but we need we need a lot of people to do the work. <laughs> that's all I'm going to say. You know, and all this ties in, this whole thing of exclusion ties in with your new TEDx talk, which is around from longing to belonging. What are some, some of the key points that you're making in that one? Yeah, thank you. That, that is my legacy talk. That is it. That is, is, is it was a beautiful, uh, beautiful, I can't wait for you to see the video, Meredith. Um, but for that talk, uh, what, what I'm talking about there is the title is, you know, how to harness the power of exclusion and go from longing to belonging. So, you know, I think all of us at some point, again, I want to talk to speak to every single person that that watches that video is that we've all been excluded at some point or another, you know, exclusion could be intentional. It could be unintentional, right? Like for example, I'm having a birthday party for my son and I can only have 10 people on the boat. There are people that I want to invite, but I can't invite them. That's unintentional. You know, it's not like I'm I'm intending to exclude them, but they might still feel excluded and left out. So the, the point is that we all have at some point in our life experienced exclusion And so I really wanted to have people tap into that pain when they're feeling it or if if they're going through something where they're feeling excluded and help them harness that power that comes behind that pain. Um, And so what I do in that story is I, in my TEDx talk, I share two stories of people, me and then my son, of, of having been in a situation where we felt left out. 
where we felt like we didn't belong and how we went from that place to the finding longing, uh, from longing to belonging and how we got there. So I create another acronym in that TEDx talk around the word power. And I help people go from longing to belonging and, and really help them harness that power of exclusion. It's, it's so painful. A lot of people have gone through it or are going through it. And I really wanted to empower everybody with some strategies to help them move through that pain. Well, when it is available, and by the time we publish your interview here, I'm sure we'll have the link to that that we can include in the show notes page. So Jill, the work you're doing is so important. And I just want to thank you for all the important insights and thought-provoking, really, ideas. And that is one of the reasons I was so looking forward to bringing you on my show, because you're pointing out things that each one of us can take responsibility to do something about, to become more aware of our own words and behavior, as well as what we notice other people saying or doing and having the courage to speak up and address those because it, it, you know, it really takes everyone being willing to not tolerate some of the things that we see going on and to, and to speak up and speak on behalf of someone else, especially the marginalized folks that you were just, you know, giving examples of, and there are so many like that. So, um, in wrapping up, would you please share how people can connect with you, learn more about your TEDx talks and your services? Sure. And thank you so much for your kind words, Meredith. I, I appreciate everything you just said. Um, yeah. So if you want to get a hold of me, uh, LinkedIn would be the best platform to connect with me on. I go out of my way to share good resources on any of the things that we've talked about during this episode. I, I really think there's a lot of misinformation, lack of information, inaccurate, incomplete information out there. So I go out of my way to find good resources. And I like to share those with my uh, connections and followers. Um, if you want to look at the work that I'm doing for my own business, Train Extra, you can always go to my website to see the workshops that I offer on the issues of civility, diversity, inclusion, unconscious bias, and so on. And then all the work that I'm doing at Nobody Studios, you know, you can go to our Nobody Studios website. We're doing some amazing, amazing work to try to make a difference in the world. So those would be the best ways to get in touch with me. That's great. I highly recommend each one of you who's listening connect with Sejal. She really does put out some great posts that just like this interview are thought provoking and really stimulate a lot of engagement. Um, and so I think it would be well worth your time to check out some of her earlier posts. Sejal, you are such a special human being. Thank you. Thank you for being who you are in the world and for you know, aspiring to make such an important difference. And I, what I'm hearing as I've, you know, listened to you and gotten to know you is every time you do something this positive, you're looking to kick it up a notch and do even more, have an even greater impact. And I admire and respect that so much because there's a lot of work to be done. And to me, you are just such a positive force in the world in this whole area of bringing the truth, the reality, so that we can learn how to treat each other with greater civility. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for those words. Thanks for tuning into my podcast. Now head over to growstrongleaders.com. 
and check out our two books, Connect With Your Team and Peer Coaching Made Simple. While you're there, download the free facilitator guide to find out how to implement our unique peer coaching system. Until next time, I'm Meredith Bell.